Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. Alyssa Perez is such an exuberant and positive energy to be present in. She is an environmental educator and I follow her on Instagram through her handle, I Stay Blooming. Through the account, I have been able to keep abreast with the environmental news in the U.S. and internationally. And what I appreciate about the information she shares is that it's not always mainstream, which gives me a broader awareness of the environmental condition of our planet. As an educator, Alyssa shares how from her experiences, mainstream environmentalism can be quite elitist and therefore exclusionary, which then makes it difficult for her community in the Bronx in New York to learn about how environmental degradation and climate change affect them. So her goal when educating is to make environmental information, common knowledge, accessible and digestible. I am also in awe of the role Alyssa plays as a community organizer. She organizes cleanups in various parts of New York City and parks, which to me is a demonstration of being the change you want to see in the world. Alyssa is also pursuing a BA in Environmental Studies at City University in New York. We had an eye-opening conversation around her academic experience where she shared that one of the main reasons she decided to pursue her BA is to gain credibility in the mainstream environmental community. Alyssa has the knowledge and the expertise, but she has found that as a Puerto Rican woman of color, she has often faced stereotypes which have prevented her from gaining opportunities, which then leaves her in a situation where she needs to spend the money to have a Western degree to give her more legitimacy. And advanced degrees are good, but no one should have to pursue it because it gives them more credibility as a person of color. I just have an issue with the situation Alyssa finds herself in because sadly it's the reality for many. And these are the kind of systems and attitudes that I am hoping we can undo through the conversations on breaking green ceilings. I hope you enjoy this conversation because again, it brought up an awareness of a challenge that many environmentalists of color face earlier on in their professional development. And I really hope that by sharing these stories that we're able to overcome some of these challenges that we face. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so let's just start the conversation with telling me a little bit about your experiences growing up and how that shaped your perception about the natural environment. Okay, well, I was very close with my grandfather growing up, and he was a person who really taught me a lot about nature and a lot about like how we have to live in nature, that we're not superior to nature. And he was my father figure growing up. So his teachings of how nature was important and we lived with it, it really kind of like set that foundation for me as a child. Growing up though, we used to go to this park, Pelham Bay Park in the Bronx, and we had like family picnics there all the time. I would always go there throughout the year. So it was like the closest thing I had to like a very natural space that wasn't like concrete. And because of that, I feel like I had like some opportunity to connect with nature. But I honestly think he was the person who introduced nature into my life. I really didn't have much exposure to nature other than what 
he showed me and what we had from those family outings. Yeah. Now, I think it's just, you just telling me that story is very cute. I can just imagine you as a little girl with your grandpa in that green space. And I think spending time in nature with family kind of like helps build that bond. Right. With loved ones. And I definitely see that. So the reason why I was just kind of curious or intrigued by your story is, I guess it started off with following you on Instagram through the I Stay Blooming account. And through that account, I have been learning a lot about environmental issues just in the US and also globally. And it got me curious to learn a little bit more about kind of what was the premise of starting I Stay Blooming. And I wanted to kind of understand that a little bit more or just I was curious to know about that some more. (laughs) Okay. So Stay Blooming started as a blog at first. I originally was using this like a website platform to discuss environmental issues, what I thought about them. I wanted to also make it a platform that was not only spreading awareness, but was also like teaching people how to make better decisions or giving them the information that they needed so that they could make better decisions on their own. The name Stay Blooming kind of speaks for itself where you're constantly learning, constantly flourishing, you stay blooming, just like a, a plant in nature. And over the years, it has it has transformed, but it always stood with the goal of teaching and educating and just putting someone onto new information so that they could make decisions based on the information they wouldn't probably have had otherwise. Yeah. And so you have about 5,000 followers currently and a little bit more. Why do you think that is? Well, I do know that like last year, I really started to put myself out there. At first, I was really making it a thing to go to events that were happening in the New York City area. I felt like if I put myself out there to meet a lot of people and make connections, I could spread the environmental message a lot easier. But honestly, it took other people sharing my page for me to get the platform that I have now and to have the audience that I have following me. And I'm really grateful for that because if it weren't for the fact that I put myself out there and then in turn met a lot of people and also connected with these people on a level that they felt like I was doing something important. And that's the reason why I ended up gaining this following. Mm -hmm. And so what has the response been from other people who haven't necessarily thought about environmental issues or even gone to school for like a college level education and environmental studies, for example? Well, I think it goes two ways. People can be very grateful for the information. And I may get messages from someone who's just thanking me saying, you know, like they've never thought about something that I shared. They didn't know something that I shared, that they'll thank me for telling them because they ended up learning more about it on their own. But then it goes another way and it could be very overwhelming. And I have this conversation often with my partner because I brought environmentalism into his life, I guess you can say. And I mean, it's something that he was already aware of, but there's a lot of things that I like to dish out to him because I'm always around him. And thank you for doing that. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, I try to do it with everyone I encounter, but that's a whole different conversation. But it can be very overwhelming for people who 
don't even have an idea of where to begin. And that's something that I'm working on myself because I realized that through my initial experiences with transitioning, with swaps, with like eco-friendly products, like people like to learn more about that. But with my first experiences with those things, people like to learn from my first experience. So it doesn't feel as overwhelming. But I do think that sometimes the information I share, especially because it could be so big and it could feel so much larger than what we are and, and what we have and what we can do, it can be overwhelming. So I try to think of both people when I put content out. Yeah. You bring up such a good point because when I was promoting environmentalism within my family and friends, I came off as being very judgmental and just kind of forceful, like in people's faces of, you shouldn't litter and why aren't you recycling that? Mm -hmm. And this is when I was a kid, but as I've grown older and just kind of learned about proper human communication and (laughs) how to convince people to do the right thing, it seems a lot harder. And you're right, it is overwhelming because people want to do the right thing, but they don't know how to sometimes. And they don't want to necessarily feel like they're being judged for their lifestyle. And those are kind of conversations which you need to kind of approach very sensitively. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And so what are some of your techniques of communicating to your partner or your friends or your, even your family in a way that it doesn't overwhelm them? Like what are some of the techniques or tactics you use? I have something I always say, and I don't think this is unique. I know people say it all the time, but this really, really works. And the only thing about it is that it takes someone who really wants to convince someone, but you have to meet people where they are. And that basically means if you're trying to convince someone about why the plastic bag ban that New York City or New York State whether it's about to become effective March 1st, if you want to convince someone why they should participate or why they should be using reusable bags or why they should be reusing their plastic bags that they already have at home, you have to find the thing that is personal to them. You have to find something that will make it matter in their life. And it's not 100% guaranteed that that method will work, but it is more likely to work than just saying, well, this many bags are polluted every year and this is how long it takes to degrade in the environment. Because sometimes facts, they don't include how the humanity is affected. They just blurt out information and people don't know how to relate it to their lives. So if you can find that personal thing that might make it a little emotional for them, then they'll think about it. You Or at least if you don't leave that conversation with fully convincing this person, you at least plant like a seed of thought in their minds and they will most likely think about it at a later time. Mm-hmm. So make the story personal and make it relatable to what they know. Right. Yeah. And so this plastic bag ban... Because in Nairobi, we've also implemented that. And it's going back to what we did before, you know, we had our grocery bags. 
and people are getting so creative with the different types of bags that are available in the market. But at the same time, there's this alternative bags that we've created that are like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a synthetic material that feels like cloth, but it's also something where it's not big enough where you can kind of reuse it or it's not durable. This is not related to a personal story (laughs) and how to get people to change their minds. But I guess it's a bigger question that I have about how effective are plastic bag bans. I think that we definitely need a solution to the plastic bags, but I don't know how effective is a rule or a law because we don't know how people are going to react to that. We can just say like, stop all of this. But I feel like the moment bans are lifted, then people go back to the way they did things before. They revert. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I did some research recently because I was also interested in this bag ban coming to New York City. And there's been a lot of pushback, a lot of resistance to it. A lot of people, a lot of mixed feelings, honestly. I see a lot of people who are like, hoorah, this is happening. Then I see a lot of people who are like, what am I going to do when I'm at the deli? And there's a lot of questions about it. And I honestly feel like New York City does a terrible job of making this information better well-known. Like they ask businesses to put up flyers or give out like pamphlets with information, but they're not really speaking to the consumer. They're only making sure that the businesses are aware that they're going to be liable if they're not charging for paper bags or no longer distributing plastic carryout bags. Well, the point of what I was saying was I did some research and California actually had a plastic bag ban, I think in 2016 or 2017. And the world did not end. Yeah. And even though there is a lot of pushback, there are always going to be mixed feelings about it because in the same instance where someone might really be a desperate need of a bag, that same person might remember to bring a reusable bag and might deem it the best thing that ever happened. It really depends on like how that person's day is going. But I realized that even with this ban, there are still plastic companies that are pushing for plastic bags to be used. And there are even oil companies who meddle in the plastic industry and are lobbying against plastic bag bans because their profits are hurt by the ban, as well as lobbyists, oil companies, plastic companies. There are even business owners who think that plastic bags are more convenient and they don't want their customers to feel like they're being inconvenienced and the less likely to shop or more likely to buy less items. So even if we have this plastic bag ban in place, it's not perfect. And the reason why I bring up California is because two different things that I want to say. California saw a very great pushback and they ended up fighting, um, they lobbied and for thicker plastic bags to be distributed and they won. And the reason why they won that fight is because the thicker plastic bags that they fought for have the ability to be used 125 times. But the thing is, is that people are not using them 125 times. They're using them like single-use plastic. And then the next thing I wanted to bring up is the plastic bag ban actually influenced garbage bag purchases. 
and they saw an increase of garbage bags 120%. Wow. Yeah. So it makes you think that when we make these moves to do better for the environment, it shifts things. It doesn't end them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily put a cap on it. It kind of distributes it somewhere else. It's like if you save your money for something and you have a little bit extra, you're going to end up spending it on something else. Like the little bit extra goes somewhere else. It doesn't just disappear or you keep it. Yeah. It's like for every action, there's a reaction. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they don't think about that. And that's why I really feel like New York City or New York State, we really need to embrace this and let it be what it is for now. And hopefully this movement of banning plastic bags will get people to think more about the environment. And I think that is what's really, really like the most important thing about this plastic ban is getting people to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Where I lived, Austin, Texas, for a few years, they had a plastic bag ban. And I think it was for about two or three years and people had changed their behaviors. They had started using reusable bags and people remembered. And if they forgot their bags, then they could purchase a brown paper bag. And then something happened. I really don't know what the politics behind it was, but apparently some court deemed it that Austin broke the law by implementing a plastic bag ban. And I did hear about that, actually. Yeah, I just thought it was ridiculous. I just couldn't wrap my head around it because here we are trying to be a more sustainable city and apparently that's breaking the law. But then again, I didn't know more details as to like what was really behind that shift. And now that you're telling me about the oil companies and the plastic bag companies, it's most likely they may have had a hand in it, which is quite unfortunate. Yes. I don't know the laws that were broken, but I did read about that. And it was because of lobbyists. Yeah. It was because of the oil companies or the plastic companies pushing back because they have a big hold on that industry. Yeah. The money aspect just drives the people who are making the decisions, the politicians. Mm -hmm. It really is that at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. I believe that it's a combination of having responsible leadership to implement laws that are for the well-being of the environment, but it's also a part that communities play in contributing to that change. But it's easier said than done, I should say. Right. So just going back to what you were trying to kind of promote within your own community, in addition to educating people about the facts of various environmental issues, you also do have like a cleanup initiative in New York that has been gaining a lot of like support. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? I think I'm just really happy to be doing this. I never saw myself doing this. I started doing cleanups last year and I can't tell you how I got the idea to begin, but I just really wanted to do something. And I felt the need to get out there and put myself to use. And instead of like sharing memes and posting facts and sharing news articles about the state of our natural world, I wanted to take action. But it's so hard to feel like you're actually making a difference and doing something. So I figured why not just clean up? Why not just literally pick up litter? And it gained a lot of momentum. I gained a lot of followers. 
the more followers I had, there was more engagement, more people are interested. So I ended up cleaning about five to seven parks in the Bronx. I did two in Queens, and then I did one in Brooklyn. And obviously, because I'm from the Bronx, it was easier for me to do the work more local to me. But it wasn't so much about the Bronx. I really wanted it to be about New York City. But these cleanups, they ended up turning into like the thing that people know me for. And I don't know. I really just want to do it because it's better than sitting here and posting about stuff. And when you're actually on a site, well, I call them sites because they're like job sites to me. But when I'm actually at a location and I'm doing the work, I get so engrossed in it. And I find that people ask a lot of questions. And also, it feels very rewarding. It feels rewarding because people are asking questions, but it also feels rewarding because of the work that you're physically doing. Like maybe it's like feel good hormones that are going through my body Mm because it's labor. It is not easy doing cleanups. I know it looks easy to just like bend over and pick up a bottle and put it in a clear blue bag, but it's actually repetitive and it makes you feel like I'm responsible for this earth. I want to clean up more. I want to do this. And that action in itself will have people who are walking by super curious. Then they want to stop and ask you, where are you from? Why are you doing this? How could they get involved? And it feels really good. There's two different instances I'd like to kind of recap. There was one time I did a cleanup at Soundview Park in the Bronx. And a gentleman came up to me. He asked about Stay Blooming, what we were doing there. And he thanked us and he said, you know what, like the people in this community don't take care of it. But when they see people like you doing this type of work, they want to do something about it. They don't feel like it's just up in the air and nothing can happen. And that is what really, really motivates me to keep going. Then I had another time, another similar situation. And this one kind of broke my heart. It was at Spring Creek in Queens where I had a cleanup and the cleanup was located, it was a waterfront park. And because it was a waterfront park, there was a bridge right by where we were cleaning up. And we did some cleaning up also under the bridge. And when we were wrapping up, there was a homeless man who was living under the bridge. And he asked me for a few garbage bags and he said that he thanked me for the work that we were doing. And he asked for the bags and he said he wants to clean up after the people who come and go fishing and leave their trash because he wants to take care of it. He stays there. And I gave him as many bags as I could. And it made me feel like, wow, I I need to keep doing this. Because if I'm making someone who doesn't even have the means to save this world, if I'm making him think about it, then I'm doing my job. I'm doing something right. Yeah, you're kind of like creating a sense of agency and you're giving people an outlet for them to feel like they're making some sort of difference as well. Right. And I think that feeling can be passed down. It's kind of like how they say a smile is contagious. Mm -hmm. Same thing. You pass that down. You give the enthusiasm to the next person because you show them I'm not afraid to stand up for the world that I live in. 
I'm not afraid to pick something up after someone else. Yeah. I don't have any shame. And they will see that and they appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where you start to build sort of this kind of culture of social norming. You know, if you see somebody else doing it, then more people will join it and then it'll just kind of like become this adopted habit of this is what we should be doing as a community, sort of like how recycling began. If I'm remembering that research correctly, is that when you see somebody doing something, then you think that that is the norm, right? And when you see more people doing it, then you kind of like get onto the bandwagon. But I can find that study and link it up in our show notes here. But I think that's what I really kind of appreciated and was kind of enamored by the once I started learning more about what you do is while you're educating people about environmental issues, you're also kind of walking the talk. And I feel like we're past awareness. And while it's important, though, the need to act and create sort of like a sense of community around improving our own environmental conditions within our own communities is something that we just need more of a push. And so I was just thinking, what do you think gets people to move? What have you seen that resonates with people to act? That's a good question. I definitely think, even though this is going to sound redundant, I definitely think it takes someone who's unafraid and showing them the way. Because for me to take action, I had to like lose the embarrassment that I felt for cleaning up the streets. And I think that that same thing is in everybody. Like they feel a, like a sense of shame for cleaning up after other people. And I think when you see someone else doing it and they're kind of bearing all, you see them doing it, they're not ashamed. They're trying like to walk you through it or sharing like their first experience with something that they tried in terms of like swapping to something that's more eco-friendly or a product or something. I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is that they need to learn through seeing someone else being shameless when they're acting it out. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think (laughs) I understand that. It's like, oh, she's doing it. She's not embarrassed. So I can do it. I shouldn't be embarrassed. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think that makes sense. (laughs) As you continue on this journey of trying to kind of gain momentum on social media, but also I'll call it the real world because sometimes social media might be the real world for some. Yeah. What's your vision for change? Another good question. I would like for people to be more informed about the environment and just maybe, I guess, less resistance to change in regards to how we treat the earth and more people who are voting in favor of green policy because individual change is beautiful. And I love seeing people make swaps in their personal lives, but it also comes from the top. And I definitely think that if people were more involved with politics, perhaps, even though I know it's not the funnest thing to be involved with, if they followed it more and they were more aware of like the decisions that were being made for them, 
and start realizing that people in those power positions, they're working for us and just being more knowledgeable so that they can hold these people accountable. Yeah, that's so important. And at least in the U.S., a majority of the population is kind of apathetic towards politics and feel like they really can't make any kind of change if they kind of follow politics. And I find like that's kind of opposite to what I've seen in developing nations, where it's just like people always come in hordes to vote because they really see the impact or how change can come about based on who they vote for. And it's true, but it's also at the same time sad because in some countries, (laughs) the votes are rigged. But the intention of the people is just so pure. And when you see stuff like that happening, it really just kind of like breaks my heart and then reminds me of how kind of spoiled we are here in the U.S. Right. It's true. Where we feel like, oh, whoever the politician is, whoever comes in, it's not going to impact us at all. But I feel like maybe we're feeling a little bit more of that in recent years. But that's a conversation for another time. Something that you mentioned earlier on is that, well, it was in a previous conversation that we had, is that you are going back to school to get a degree in environmental studies. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Could you tell us a little bit about why you decided to go back to school to for that degree? Yes. So I started going back to school in the later half of 2017. And the honest reason why I went back to school was because of Stay Blooming. I felt I was ultimately sharing this really important information, but it was all information that like people may question me and where I'm getting this information or they may not believe what I was sharing. So I wanted to make myself a credible woman of color and go back to school so that I wouldn't be questioned, so that I could be like valid in these opinions that I have. Because even though I can learn on my own about the state of the world and how we can make it a better place and the living earth and climate change and sustainability, I still knew that there would be skeptical people out there. And not only that, but I wanted to fill in the gaps too. I wanted to go to school so that I could learn what else was out there and really be able to do my best job at Stay Blooming because I had the information. Yeah. Whatever you said about like getting that legitimacy or that credibility, that kind of like resonates with me. And it just makes me wonder like, where did that feeling come from? Why did I feel like I needed to prove myself in my passion by getting like a degree? Because now, with what you're doing is you're trying to make this information accessible so that it's kind of like common knowledge. And it isn't until recently where I realized like, okay, I went to school to actually get this knowledge when it should be for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because like climate change is affecting everyone. We need to understand kind of like the social science of it. Have you had any like particular experiences or observations of why you feel like as a woman of color, you need to get like a formal degree to be considered legitimate? To be honest, I think it came from when I first started Stay Blooming, I started it just as a blog. But as it grew, I ended up going to more like environmental related events in New York City. And when I started going to events is when I realized that 
it was usually very like predominantly white spaces. And I felt most of the time like I wasn't there, like people didn't acknowledge me. And because I felt that way, it kind of translated into like, well, I'm going to make myself visible. And the only way I felt like I could make myself visible was by having a degree because for some reason it matters so much to certain people. But that's honestly the reason why. Because other than that, like I know that there's like a wage gap and that wage gap also spoke to me because I felt like that my degree would make me more valuable. But it's weird because even while I say these things, I totally don't believe them. Because I know like the information I have is very valuable, even without a degree. And even though I'm a woman of color, it doesn't change the value of the, like, the wealth of knowledge that I have. For sure. I don't know what the answer is, but... Yeah, it's a tough question because it's kind of like another way of saying, like, who are you trying to prove this to? And it's hard because I think I was trying to prove it to myself. Yeah. That's something I'm going to be Great pondering. <laughs> yes, you've got me thinking now. You've got me thinking. Yeah, it just makes me wonder. I went to school because I thought that was like the best way to basically call myself the expert. But really, am I really the mm-hmm. expert in what I went to school for? I, I'm almost done and I don't feel comfortable <laughs> calling myself an expert. I'll just say that. Yeah. It's just funny that that was kind of my thinking is like, I'll go to school and I'll be an expert in environmental studies. And but then you get out and you're like, oh, my gosh, I still don't know a lot. But it's also just like, yeah, the question of that legitimacy of having that degree. I'll probably have like a part two series with you on this and some other people who (laughs) have shared similar experiences. That is is a great question because... It's just like the way society is and yeah, it's something like you kind of don't wish didn't exist. Yeah. Like it didn't have to be like, why is it not that I'm enough kind of thing? Or you can Google this stuff these days. That's true. So <laughs> anyways, as we're kind of like coming to the end of our conversation here, I have a lightning round with my guests and it's a series of four questions and you just answer the first thing that kind of comes to your mind. So we'll get started here. The first question is, what have you read, heard, or watched lately that has influenced you the most? I recently went to a film screening of Microplastic Madness, and it was about these children in Brooklyn who were advocating. They were advocating for clean oceans and stuff like about being plastic free. And that was really, 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 really impressive. Mm. So impressive. Like, I think our youth has got it. But the sad part is, is that they shouldn't be dealing with it. The adults should be dealing with it. But it just really moved me. It was very, very, very inspiring. And it just made me want to do the work even more. Like I wanted to go home and work that day. (laughs) Yeah. Throughout my, I guess, as early as I, I don't know, I feel like in the past two or three years, it's like the impact that the youth are making just by going out into the streets and just, they're just so inspiring. And I've never seen this before. And yeah, you're right. They shouldn't have to be doing this. But Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm just kind of like ashamed of myself. (laughs) 
I'm like, oh my gosh, these youth are so empowered and they're calling for change and they're so eloquent and they're so much more aware about these issues more than what I was when I was their age. So I'm really excited about this movement that youth are kind of taking upon themselves and it's unfortunate, but I kind of have like hope in them to bring about the change that we need. So I'm really happy for the youth. So the next question is, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work? Well, that's a good one. I bring my laptop with me everywhere. (laughs) I guess that's something that I have thought it was a bad habit, but I always end up finding myself working at some point or another. So just being able to have the tools that I need, and it's usually all on my laptop. So that really helps Mm me get by. Yeah, it's like your notepad. Yeah, because I don't use notebooks. I own a ton of pens and I don't buy anymore because I own so many of them. But like, I don't really like to write things down anymore. I just type it out. Yep, that makes sense. What's the best piece of advice you've received? That's actually something that I was told recently because I feel like I'm a perfectionist with a lot of the work that I do. And someone told me that perfection is just a fear of criticism. Mm. And you don't have to be perfect. You're allowed to learn from your mistakes and you're allowed to make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, as much as you're allowed to take your time to develop something that in your eyes is perfect, something that's not as developed can be just as good and accepted and received by people. Amen. It's totally (laughs) something I'm working on daily. Yeah. I come from a culture where perfection is everything. That's what you strive for. And I don't think like perfection is necessarily a bad thing, but it can be if you let it get you down. Yeah. So the final question here is what is your superpower? My superpower is my passion. I have to say Because if it weren't for my passion, I would not be doing this work. And my passion is what pushes me to talk to people, to confront things that I don't think are right in this world. My passion is where my love comes from for people, for the nature and everything around us is definitely my passion. Because I know that when I'm around people, I exude that energy and they feel it. Yeah, I've been told that a lot of times. No, I feel it. <laughs> I can hear it in your voice. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Positive <job>. vibes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've come to the end of our conversation. I feel like we had so many like deep conversations that we just kind of like had to let fall off the cliff. But hopefully we can continue mm-hmm. them in the near future and kind of like touch back with you and see like how life has changed for you and how your journey has evolved. Sure. Yeah. And I, I'm anticipating a lot of changes this in the next like six months. So yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So where can people follow you on your journey? So they can follow me on Instagram and my handle is I Stay Blooming and my website is stayblooming.com. Currently developing stayblooming.org, but it is all in the works right now. But that's primarily where you can find me. Okay. That's awesome. And good luck on developing that org. It's quite a feat. Before we leave, is there anything else you would like to add? The only thing I would like to say is not to be afraid to be that person who starts the dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. That is all. Yeah. Be shameless. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, shameless should be like the word of this recording. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the title. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. Word. Well, thank you again so much, Alyssa. Like this has been a great conversation and I really appreciate you making time for us. Well, thank you for having me. Hey all, thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change-making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.